0: Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, Senior Film Writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. This is our 300th episode. That's ridiculous. And my guest is anything but. It's Michelle Latimer, a writer and director who brought two projects to the Toronto International Film Festival this year, the documentary Inconvenient Indian, which premiered on Sunday and screens again at 5 p.m. on Thursday, September 17th and the new CBC series Trickster, which premieres today, Tuesday, September 15th, at 12.30pm in the Primetime series. If you can't get to it today, keep an eye out for it when it debuts on CBC, October 7th. Michelle picked Girlhood, Celine Siama's 2014 character study about a struggling teenager named Mariam who's tempted by a wilder lifestyle when she falls in with a gang of strong young women who go into the world looking for trouble. Not literally, most of the time it's more of an attitude thing, but it's awfully seductive, And before too long, Mariam is drifting towards a different kind of trouble. A vivid, thrilling look at the price of empowerment with an amazing debut performance from Corigia to at its center caused the kind of sensation on the festival circuit that we wouldn't see again until, well, until Siamma made Portrait of a Lady on Fire. This is someone else's movie.
1: I'll just never forget the first time I saw it. It was actually my first introduction to her work when I saw the film, um, and I later went back and watched the rest. But what I found about it was it was such a celebration of just what it feels like to be a young girl, figuring out your sexuality, figuring out the parameters of your freedom. There's so many mixed messages growing up. Um, You're sexualized at a very young age as a young girl. And uh, I think just grappling with what that power is, but also what the confines of that are. Um, And also the idea of a glass ceiling. And I I grew up in a really working class neighborhood in northwestern Ontario. There was a feeling like you might never get out. And I felt that constriction in the film that... um, I just really related to it. And in terms of like craft, I just, I think her sen- her formal sense of approaching cinema and the frame, I-, I just love it. And so for me, the mix of that really classical form, but with like a really gritty underclass uh, story around race and classism that just like blew me away.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, we were discussing this before we started recording, but it was received as a response to Boyhood, which had come out the year before, but it's I don't know why anyone, after like two minutes into the film, it's not what that is. It's, it's just so so completely its own thing, but also it moves so quickly, and Boyhood was all about the slow accumulation of detail, and this is plunging us into the world and just racing through it. We, I mean, we're watching someone, It is, ultimately I suppose it is kind of the same overall thing, which is that you're watching the formation of a personality. You're watching someone figure out who she is. Mm-hmm. But it's not in real time, and it's not over time, over a span of time. It's just under circumstances that challenge everything she's trying to present of herself over and over and over again. She's incredibly strong unless she's with her brother. She's incredibly uh, cold unless she's with her sisters. She's surrounded by women who will protect her unless she says the wrong thing. And it's just so interesting to watch that navigation it's like watching a series of plates interlocking over and over again mm-hmm. and uh, watching it last night it was just it's thrilling to see how how siama manages it like you never see the the pieces moving it's just so fluid and so beautiful to look at that you're seduced into not noticing all of these incredible levers pulling and turning and, and shifting i got another thing we were chatting about beforehand is the the idea that I was surprised that Siama broke with Portrait of a Lady on Fire because it's so unlike her other movies. Mm-hmm. But now I imagine people who discovered her through that film coming back and seeing this and just being blown away by it that, you know, six years ago she was doing something this sophisticated, this interesting, and like this lively.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I find her work, like it's when you talk about a female filmmaker working in, I would say, very feminist kind of work, I... I it, it's, it's a strange um, adjective to use, but I find her work quite masculine and its drive and its intensity. But what I love about that is often they're polarized, feminine and masculine are polarized, but women have a masculinity, have a power in them. And it's not represented in that sort of testosterone driving way that I do know women in my life to be. So it's exciting to see that embraced under a, a female gaze. And, I, you know, like when I watch portrait of a lady that gaze is still similar it's the subtle art of of of, of uh, how she's looking at romance and seduction and that sort of seduction and love is is within even this f- friend relationship of the girls you it's very physical it's very primal it reminds me of young horses you know <laughs> and, and i love it that's
0: interesting because i keep confusing just because of the timing about them i keep confusing this with mustang in my head even oh, though know, yeah. you know radically different films but um um, I just mix them up in my brain. But it is, yeah. Uh, women are often described as cultish, young young women specifically, which is something I've never really fully understood, exactly. except that I guess, yeah, this does articulate that. The energy, the, the sense of incredible power that isn't fully controlled yet. And that's what Mariam is, I think. we We watch her figure out how to control her own strength, which is introduced as this raging force. She's angry at everybody. She's not doing very well at school. She's getting to the point where her life is about to be, at least as far as the adults around her perceive her, she's about to be unredeemable. Mm-hmm. And then they're gonna give up on her and, and that will be that. And she falls into this group, this little gang, which as it turns out needed a fourth member for whatever reason, they, they were missing someone. And then she fills that space. And then they run together. Yeah, it is, there is sort of a, a an equine metaphor going on. It's one of those things, it's flo- It's free-floating in a way that it never really coalesced until you mentioned it just now.
1: Well, it's interesting because I also really relate to this idea of, um, like, boundaried freedom. Like, it's okay to have freedom in certain ways, but, like, I really, there's some beautiful scenes in the film I, and it's just a short scene, but it really affected me emotionally where the camera's just on her straight on. She's in the middle of the frame. You never see the guidance counselor or the teacher she's talking to. Yeah. And she's just like, let me go to high school. And they're like, no, your grades aren't good enough. She's like, please, please. And she's pleading. And you see, and they're like, well, is it? And they're like, well, is it, like, well, is it really? She's like, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. My grades are bad. And they're like, well, is it really not your fault, Miriam? And you can just see like the world just crushing in on her. And I just related to that, like feeling like you don't have options, you know, and that it takes somebody to take a chance on you for you to have like an opportunity that's maybe considered beyond your station in life. I just, that scene still cracks me up every time I watch it.
0: Yeah. And it establishes the world she's in so effectively too, because she won't return to it. Like she's pushed out of that world at the beginning of the film and then everything else is you know, apartments and, and streets and external spaces yes, where yes. She, she moves through the world, but the world doesn't really want to have that much to do with her. It isn't until maybe halfway through the film that she feels like she belongs in a space again. Yes. Um, in that big open air thing with the dance contest. Right. Where, again, the energy in that scene is just so stunning. And um, I, I have to admit, as a, as a middle-aged man... It was weird to watch a scene of young women dancing that is almost explicitly, exclusively focused on their waists and crotches. It's, yeah, I get it. I understand what it is, and I should be uncomfortable. I should yeah. be made to feel uncomfortable in that moment because it's not something I understood huh. immediately. And I kind of admire Siyama for pushing through that and like just basically not giving a shit about what other people might think of that shot or that yeah, scene, because then you have because
1: I, it's uh, like, I don't find that shot sexual like, and no, and, and, no. and it's, that's what I love about. She puts all these very provocative images. And when you see these girls and they're just owning their own physicality, their own energy often, because I realized it was actually one of the first films where I really understood the difference between the male gaze versus the female gaze. And I realized mm-hmm. that so many films that had really, really influenced me in my development as a filmmaker were told through the male eye and when I watched those same things filmed through a female I'm like why does this not feel sexual and yet I'm looking at a young girl's crotch like why does this and it was so great it really made me think about my own preconceived biases you know
0: yeah and mine as well clearly Uh, (laughs) but it was one of those things where it's so clearly not a prurient shot and it's not designed to be well, I was going to say appealing, but it is designed to be appealing. It's an, it's an image of strength and it's an image of, of young women figuring out what they can do with their bodies, like literally with their the performance of this the song, the dance that they're doing. Mm-hmm. It's not sexual. It is powerful. And then we immediately see the contrast of how men and young men specifically perceive Maryam and, and everyone else when she's finally giving herself over into a romance when she's allowing, when she sleeps with yes. the young man that she's been yes. courting, um, awkwardly. Uh, but it's filmed in a different way that is absolutely from her perspective. Oh,
1: it, amazing. Like she puts his hands where she wants them. She, it's filmed in a wide, like it's just the whole, that structure of that love scene I thought was so beautiful. Mm-hmm. So beautiful. And then, um, You know, it's funny because I rewatched the film too last night and it had been a while since I'd seen it. And I realized in the first five minutes of the film, seven minutes of the film, you get everything you need because you start with this football, this aggressive kind of like masculine football game. Then you realize they take their helmets off and it's these girls and they're like war whooping basically. And then you enter the next scene and... Two of the girls, Miriam and her friend, are walking down the, the, the housing um, complex and they're getting catcalled by the boys. And yeah. you immediately take that power and she just shifts it and goes, this is the reality of these girls' everyday life, even though they can feel empowered in this sports moment. You know? and I, For me, the whole film's encapsulated in those six minutes.
0: Yeah. Well, and even before Maryam and her friends split off, the whole group is walking back right through the into the into the banlu, and they're chatting and they're talking and it's lively and there are no subtitles, so you have no idea what who to listen to or what to pay attention to. Yeah. And then as soon as they go up those stairs where the boys are, they go quiet. Yeah. It just falls on them like a hush. And then they get past them and they start talking again, but it's a little bit muted. And then they start splintering off, and it's just confident. Siama knows we'll get it. So she doesn't push it, yeah. But it's just—it's such a striking way to introduce us into the film and, and the world. And that—that that football sequence, I mean, it's shot like Friday Night Lights. It's That's just what I love about polished it. <laughs> and and glossy, and the yeah. the colors pop. Yeah, well, it's like again not a movie that you would expect to be called girlhood right it's just right. refusing to be the thing that you assume it's going to be from the from the job
1: yeah that's a, it, it's true and um, the colors do pop but then we move into a cooler tone for most of the film it's more yeah, yeah, yeah. blues and jewel tones and I, I I love that too because it just it you never break from that world you're in it and and you're in you know it's a, there's sort of a feeling of a fluorescent lighting or something <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah yeah I mean what is that club scene towards it's, it's not a club it's a party in an apartment I think uh, right. towards the end when Mariam goes in on her little mission and it's a single take and that's the only time we see other than her her lips right the vivid red that of the dress she's wearing and it finally matches the person she's been performing but it's a different kind of performance because it's another space she shouldn't be in right yes. because not because she doesn't belong there but because she should not be there it's a bad thing that she's doing
1: mm-hmm. you know and it's funny because just... i really what i really related to was i feel as a director especially when you start to go onto sets particularly when i started working television I was told, like, when you walk on set, you have to command that set because in the first five minutes, especially if it's like you're working in an episode, that first five minutes that crew's been working together, they know each other, they're judging you really fast to see if you can handle this. And so when I first started directing in television, I almost put like this masculine body armor on and I was like, I have to like man up, you know? And I really, um, it broke my heart at the end of the film when she uh, basically kind of like defies her gender, she binds her breasts, she like, become sort of masculine in her approach because she knows that's a way to move through life where she will be less threatened, where she will be protected. She'll be able to succeed. And I feel like all women deal with that on some level. And it, and, it, and there's sort of these mixed messages when you're growing up. Like, if you really want to be a woman, you have to adorn the fingernails and be sexy and put the red lips on. But, oh gosh, like, if you want to be taken seriously, you better put some pants on and, like, tie your hair back. And, you know, And and I think that those... Those mixed messages of society are, are something that you really grapple with as you're finding your identity as a woman.
0: Yeah, and it is interesting too that although the leader of the girl gang is named calls herself Lady, yeah, yeah. Um, she, uh, Mariam is called Vic, yeah. and that's fairly masculine as a as a. Yeah. As an affectation goes, of oh, the other you know, the, the and isn't uh, yeah. One of the others is called Philly, which yeah. in English makes you think of a horse again. I don't know how yeah. I missed this. I didn't even think uh, of that
1: either, but that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, and Vic is supposed to be short for Victory because she does the fight in in defensive lady, right? For ladies yeah. like yeah. Um, honor. And that was the other thing, taking the bras, like when they fight and they take the bras as like their booty at the end. Yeah. I just loved it. But I also thought if that was a masculine film, like a male filmmaker, we would see the naked girls and everything. But it wasn't like that. It was just like the bra rips off and they're just like, ha! Ah! I, I loved it.
0: Yeah. 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 Siyama follows the, the clothing. She follows the bra up as yeah. as as uh, Vic raises it. And yeah, you're right. It's the film is absolutely shot from a woman's perspective. Mm. And the female gaze is present throughout, but it doesn't have the.
1: It's not sentimental. All,
0: yeah, it doesn't have the delicacy that we associate with stories of coming of age. Yes. Uh, whether they're directed by men or women, it's it's the the flintiness of the of the approach. The fact that there is no quarter given. That we mm. see Maryam for who she is all the time. There's no idealization. And then I think that's maybe just because all of the other coming-of-age narratives that I can think of involve seeing things from the protagonist's perspective. And that's not exactly what Siyama does here, is it? Because uh-huh. Mariam is, she is of the frame, but she's not telling the story. Like we're not fully, she's in every shot. And uh, and we should talk about Karija Touré because she is phenomenal in her first film, which is just amazing to me that this is someone who'd never done a movie before because she knows exactly what to do for the camera as well as for her scene partners. Um, She's treated almost as a specimen. Mm -hmm. She's being followed. She's not pushing the story forward. The movie is following her. It's just sort of riding along with this person as she figures herself out. And it's an almost like a scientific method Mm -hmm. form of storytelling where you just wait and see what happens, even though this is scripted. It feels... Yeah, maybe that's it. It just feels like, like uh, Siama is racing along with the camera trying to capture life as it happens even though it's so beautifully produced and, and photographed that there's no way any of this could just be happening. But it's mm-hmm. there's a spontaneity to all of it that that pops through the frame. It's I don't know how to describe it. It's something I'm not really sure I've seen before.
1: Well, it's interesting because when you when you describe that, I I like part of me goes, oh, because I'm very sensitive to that ethnographic gaze, and so when I think of specimen, I think of someone looking at someone and draw, and and yeah. so that, but it doesn't feel like an ethnographic gaze, even though Céline Gamma is is a white woman, and this is a, there's almost all black characters in this in this movie, um, yep. but I think it's because it's rooted in class, and even though. You're, yes, you're, like, allowing her to move through things. She's always in relationship to the environment around her. So when you think of, like, the diamond scene where they dance to Rihanna's diamonds in the hotel room yeah. after sh- a day of shoplifting, um, they're all in the frame together. Like, uh, the, 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 the obvious choice would to just be with Miriam. But they pull out and you see one big long take of these girls all dancing together, all equally balanced in the frame. And that's I think true. that that's interesting. Yeah, to see her relationship to her environment.
0: Yeah, and the and we see it again in other scenes. There's that amazing long pan along, what, oh, yeah. 30 young women talking to each other in sequence as though they're passing a message along. Uh, and the, the sense of community right before they all dance against each other. <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, it gets an introduction to a competition even though in that moment there just seems to be some sort of harmony or, or continuity between them. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe... Maybe anthropology is a better term, although that still puts everyone at a remove. Uh-huh. But it's not like I never got a sense that we're being introduced to a culture. It's just mm-hmm. a, a dispassionate look at the way these people interact. And by these people, that sounds loaded, too. But that's not what I mean. I mean, young women in France in this point, at this point in time.
1: Right, right. I think, too, when you're looking at like, I, I think of the work of Andrea Arnold, which like it's just on it's honest to the place of where it's from and that's why I think it breaks sentimentality because when you're living that lifestyle like growing up you know I'm just taking this from my own life growing up like like not I didn't grow up in the you know north end of Paris but I grew up in northern Ontario and it's like there's not really, it's not sentimental. Like you're, you're surviving and it's rough and you're trying to get a leg up and it's a bit like the law of natural order. Like you, you it's the strongest survive, you know? And I love that scene where they're yelling across the train, the, the subway. It's like, I, I really relate to that. Like, you know, we always call it like the res girl fight. Like, you know, there's like the girl fight and it's just like, yeah, there's that, like the strongest survive. And it's about clinging on to like what, like the gang that's going to like help you get through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. she understands that in a way that I thought was really exciting
0: mm-hmm. yeah I mean we are ultimately watching Miriam gather her people right? Yeah. the people who will be her people mm-hmm. even though I don't know that she knows she's doing that when it first starts because they mock her and reject her until she just decides to be part of it mm-hmm. she walks away and then slowly when the boys come back to talk to Lady and, and her crew they, mm-hmm. there's just this little moment where Miriam just turns around and incorporates herself into the space mm-hmm. and just off to one side but then closer and closer and closer and there's that great moment where and this is the first time we've seen these people mm-hmm. uh, lady and, and and everyone else and the boys are new to us as well but there's just this little moment where somebody says something funny the girls laugh and you see it on on Therese's face she thinks about laughing and doesn't because it wouldn't be cool and it's just this little tiny moment of oh she's smart and she's socially aware uh-huh. so let's see where that goes and then she's just gliding along with them and it's it's really you know not a not a word is spoken not a vowel is is said about any of it she's just there with them for the rest of the story
1: yeah that's interesting so maybe that when you're talking about anthropology like in a way she's watching them like mm. you get the sense like i know it's not totally her point of view but you definitely see her taking her social cues to realize how can she best fit in yes and yes. so it's a slow it's a slow submergence into this like friendship that she has
0: yeah and a um and a an ally ship right it, like it's it's about ultimately she chooses which army to join mm-hmm. uh, and it's these are more like a small militia and because we see what the real army looks like later we understand the larger criminal world that that she's sliding towards mm-hmm. and that's a narrative that's also really really familiar I mean we've seen it
1: mm-hmm. for
0: what 65 years of juvenile delinquent cinema it's not a new story but the way Siyama just sort of eludes the obvious scenes and just keeps moving around them. You have a drink with somebody. He buys you some food. All of a sudden, you're having a meeting in a restaurant mm-hmm. about something else. And then, what, five minutes later, she's she's doing things she absolutely knows she shouldn't be doing. I don't want to spoil it for people who haven't seen it. Mm-hmm. But um, it's about realizing the world we're in. She knows we are figuring it out on the fly. And the movie is showing us just enough to make us understand that she's in the wrong place doing the wrong things.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, I'm making a feature about a woman who was a dangerous offender, uh, is Canada's at the time only female dangerous offender, but she grew up in the North, well, worked in the North end of Winnipeg as 17 years old. She was um, dealing drugs, but she would be a- affiliated with gangs. And instead of being, cause all the women that really hung out with the gangs were. Uh, hookers like they basically were were pimped by the the guys in the gangs and she didn't want that for herself so she would wear a hoodie and dress down and she said she just collected the money so she'd sit in the back of the cab while the girl serviced whoever and then she'd take the money at the end with her knife or whatever and leave and she's like that was a way so that I would never be like inscribed into that kind of lifestyle but I could still be part of the gang you know and so I I I remember thinking of her story when I watched girlhood being like that's the same story (laughs) you know Yeah. yeah Mm. yeah
0: well it's about figuring out the system for yourself right figuring out the best place to be the safest relative to everybody else
1: yeah
0: but oh wow so when was that taking place what time
1: um she was uh put in prison when she was 17 but then she was uh deemed as a dangerous offender um i want to say like maybe eight years ago i was at her trial actually in kitchener when she was deemed a dangerous offender but she um recently um won a big action suit against the uh, corrections Canada for, cause they kept her in in solitary confinement for eight years. And so she's actually out on parole now um, and um, was able to win for basically like crimes against herself, like humanity and in Mm -hmm. terms of how she was treated in prison. Yeah. That's going to be my first narrative feature. I'm just working on the script. Yeah.
0: Wow.
1: I, I draw a lot of similarities and, and, and references and inspiration from this particular film for that, because there's similar themes, just in very different kind of worlds.
0: Yeah. And in terms of the, like, how do you cast a role like that? Are you going with, with, a, with an unknown, somebody the, uh, similarly to the Girlhood strategy of just yeah. introducing us?
1: So this is really interesting when you were talking, um, because she was found in Girlhood, she was found in, um, I think, at an amusement park she was recruited by a casting director in an amusement park and this was her first role that she'd ever done Mm -hmm. and then i was thinking i'm also a big fan of chloe Zhao's work and i was looking at the actors and writer who that was the life that they 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 experienced and so i was wondering like about that like what are the benefits of having a real person play themselves or someone that has had a similar experience because even in other work that i've done i find sometimes working with new talent um, the most exhilarating because there's no bad habits. You just like are molding them and helping them. And that's when a director really gets to fly with their actor. Right. Cause they're really, it's like an athlete's coach. You're coaching them through this performance and yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So how far into the process are you? Are you casting now? Or are um, you still?
1: No, I'm writing. I was in the script writing labs at the Sundance Institute as the artist in residence. So I was working on a second draft of the, of the script then. So, mm-hmm. but I've been, just been a bit busy working on my films and now that they're out, I want to like go back to the script and <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And you have a television series. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That too. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is sort of an interesting space to occupy, right? I mean that the, uh, the larger conversation about TV has shifted to it's as good as cinema. And now in some cases it's actually perceived as even better. And Trickster has a second season already, right? Yeah, it's yeah, that's right. It's been greenlit. Yeah. So you're... You're looking at a, you're occupying a space right now. Features in television that is, I mean, it's almost unique in Canada, isn't it? Is anyone else doing this right now? And and how are you?
1: I don't know. How are you? I mean, there's a director and and well, there's certainly directors in. Quebec that have done it, I think of Jean-Marc Vallée, he was in features, but then he started to work in series television in the United States. Oh, of course, yeah. But Daniel Gouroux, who did um, 19-2, yeah, he he, uh, was doing that in Quebec as a TV series, and then he also directed the first season of Cardinal, but he does features simultaneously as well. But there's not too many people doing that. But it's interesting, because if you think of girlhood now... And you think of something like um, I May Destroy You, which a very different show. But sure. you could take Miriam and you could put her over 12 episodes, 8 episodes. You know, you could do that. And it's just an yeah. interesting choice to encapsulate it into three acts.
0: Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. I guess it's the more marketable choice, right? If you're making a movie with a complete unknown versus a television series that requires so much more. It's just much more expensive, isn't it? I mean, you have to, you have to mm-hmm. produce all of that. But you're absolutely right. I would watch. I would watch an eight or twelve episode arc of this this person doing. I mean, I would watch a sequel that takes place over eight or ten episodes just yeah. to see what she's doing next.
1: But I do think the beauty of like um, I th- I think of like Skiama's first three works. Like they exist together in a way that you could almost write an essay about the relationship between the three films. And I do oh, yeah. think that. Like, I love cinema and I love that. Like, you think of Trois like, you know, and you look at those three films, like what they say as a collection, and yet they each stand alone as their own films. That's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, like I just, it's, it's not, um, it doesn't have the same, like, feeling of consumption. We don't binge watch three, like, *Silence, Gamma films, you know, and that's what yeah. I, I love about it. It's more like a fine dining, you savor each, each, uh, course. <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah. And they arrive in their own time, right? Mm. Like you can't, you can now binge them, but it took 15 years for all of it to come together. Yeah. Water well, it was 2007. I'm, I'm not wrong. <laughs> Water Lilies was 2007.
1: Wow. And Girlhood was 14, 2014? Uh, right? 14, yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: And then she also, it's still, I'm just, i glanced at her IMDb page and I just realized, oh, that's right, she wrote My Life is a Zucchini, which <laughs> makes no sense to me. I mean, it's so completely different from all the other stuff, the, the stop motion film uh-huh, that she yeah, made. Yeah. It was so weird to stumble across that, and, and I'd seen it and not even noticed her name in the credits, I guess, because huh. it was a, a shock to me.
1: Right, right. You know, when you were talking about, um, like, the dancing, like the dancing in the streets in Girlhood and the diamonds mm-hmm. in the hotel room... It's funny because my favorite scene in Portrait of a Lady on Fire is the scene around the fire where the old women are drumming and there's dancing. And I, and I, ha, and I didn't think about how similar that aesthetic is to her other dancing scenes in her other film. Um, but there is like a gritty rawness, like, a, a, I don't know, a kinetic energy kind of to the, both of those scenes, even though there, one's a period piece, very formal, and the other one's much more contemporary and gritty.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say it's about a respect for a body. I think oh, like the body's in motion is the thing that even even with the football sequence at the beginning of Girlhood, you see it. She's interested in the ways they move and how they collide. They're, the shots are framed for shoulder pads where you can actually see the force that people are pushing into one another. Right. And oh, in,
1: interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's just a. I think it's just an attention to detail, honestly, that that she has where she's she wants us to be as invested in their presence as she is with her camera. And yeah, oh, she's somebody I'd love to talk to at length about this sort of thing because all of these things are so considered in her films, but they're probably unconscious choices just because it's what she wants. I mean, that's how vision works, right? You don't think about what it is that attracts you to something.
1: Yes, yes. Interesting. But she's definitely exploring like the gender roles in a way that I had not seen in film. I thought it was very bold.
0: Yeah. And something that Weirdly enough I think a younger viewer would be able to understand. Like it's not it, she's absolutely making movies for adults. She's she's mm-hmm. aiming them at people who have had these life experiences. But I wonder um you know like is Tomboy going to connect with people who are of that age and just trying to figure themselves out. I mean, I remember seeing that and thinking how weirdly empathetic is the wrong word because all of her films are empathetic but but tomboy feels like a movie that's asking questions and not having any answers and and it's sort of okay with that it's Mm -hmm. about it's about the lead figuring it out it's not about knowing the answer going in which so many movies like again it's a coming of age thing right like Mm -hmm. um when did don ruse make his movie uh the opposite of sex was that it i didn't
1: see it
0: the it's the one with christina ricci uh, in the coming-of-age narrative, where she sarcastically opens the film by saying this was the summer that everything changed.
1: Oh, yeah, I did see yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah, but that is the perspective that almost all of these movies take, is that mm-hmm. we're going to watch someone change, and the movie knows it, and it's always fairly heavy-handed or fairly obvious where things are going. Mm-hmm. And Siama doesn't do that, and maybe it's just because she wasn't raised with American cinema or like steeped mm-hmm. in American cin- cinema the way that the way that we are on this side of of the Atlantic, Mm -hmm. but her stuff is just so much more invested in following along rather than leading the way. Mm -hmm. And I just, I find that absolutely fascinating about her work. It's it's in Girlhood, it's in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. You know, like we get, we lean closer to the screen to see what's going to happen next.
1: So true. Yeah, there's definitely a confidence in the filmmaking. Um, How old is she? Do you know? I actually don't know how old she is.
0: Um, I'm assuming she's in her mid-40s, but I don't know. Just, oh, she is actually just turning 40 this year, November 12th, 1980.
1: Yeah, there's just such a... I, I would have guessed she was older, and not because I'm being ageist, but because there's a maturity, an emotional yeah. maturity to the filmmaking that it reminds me of something of Jane Campion, who's quite a bit older than her, you know? And so yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Exactly. It feels like she's been doing this for a really long time.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some people just have a gift. <laughs>
0: yeah. 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 Her next project, apparently, is that she's co-written Jacques Audiard's new film, oh, uh, which I am very much interested in. I mean, I yeah. was anyway, but yeah. now I'm very much yeah. interested in that.
1: Interesting. Called, okay. Yeah, yeah, Les Olympiades.
0: Hmm. I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. Okay. Uh, but if it's about, I don't know anything about what it's about, and I hesitate to speculate, but if it's about people at the Olympics, it's going to be hopefully very dramatically intense and very deeply of understanding of its characters. I don't know. I just <laughs> want to see it.
1: Yeah, yeah, me too. Well, I, I saw a portrait of a lady on fire at the light box um, on Valentine's Day. And <laughs> it's funny because I read something about girlhood. And I read that when a bunch of young women um, from the housing projects went to see the film, they wa- they were given free tickets. They walked in and they saw a bunch of like older, like senior people. And they went why are these all these old people? I think we're in the wrong theater. And when I went to see Portrait of a Lady on Fire, I thought I'd see all these women coming to watch or like, like same-sex couples maybe. It's Valentine's sure, Day. Yeah. It's this beautiful love story between two women. And I walk in and it's like everybody's in the theater. Men, women, same-sex couples, heterosexual couples. I'm like, this is so interesting. <laughs> so I feel like she, she definitely resonates for a wide audience. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Oh, and I can't wait to see what she does next. Um, And this does sort of lead us to, we've we've touched on it a little bit, but is there anything of Girlhood or or Siama's work that you've brought to your own? I mean, I was trying to figure out if there are references in Trickster. They're really, it's its own thing. Yeah. But the observational thing is there. Um,
1: hmm, I'm just trying to think. Uh, no, you know what I would say is the closest reference is, um it's a bit of a stretch, but it's actually, I do feel it resonates, is when I'm working in archival footage, in Inconvenient Indian, and as well as my short film *Nimikaj*, I use archival footage of children and girls in residential schools, and I had to scour hundreds of hours of archival to find places where the girls looked down the barrel of the camera, where Mm. they recognized the camera person looking at them, and they almost defiantly, or at least acknowledging, looked back, I see you seeing me, Right. and um i re- and and that for me is what girlhood is there are moments when you feel that she is looking right at you and that it's challenging the viewer themselves in what they're seeing there's almost like a a provocateur or at least a there's a gaze of accountability in a way like I, I that I feel uh, if you look at the, specifically the residential school scene in, in Convenient Indian that scene starts where the camera's just looking at the children in the residential schools and then mm-hmm. as the scene builds towards the end you get to these young girls looking and they look right at the cameraman and um, that for me was an acknowledgement uh, and I feel like uh, there's a spirit of that in Celine's work
0: and your own too, I mean it's it's a sense of deliberate uh, identification, with, I think with, because when we're seeing there, when we when those when those photographs appear and we look at them, they're looking they're looking at us, but we're looking at them, and it's it's um, yeah. uh, it's the thing about cinema, right? You can yeah. just make people see uh, in the most literal sense, but also create empathy and a connection that just. Yes. otherwise wouldn't be there.
1: Yes. It, it shifts like what the focus is on because you almost set, step back. You almost startled back because you're like, I thought I was just watching, but now you're watching me. And then, and that humanizes it right in that, in, even in that moment, even though that person is not actually there looking at you, it feels like that. And yeah, it, it, I think the word you use deliberate is really even better than what I was saying about accountable. It's, it's actually de- that deliberate precision of who is looking at who, that to me is very exciting.
0: My thanks to Michelle Latimer, who's premiering her new television series Trickster at 12.30 p.m. this afternoon, Tuesday, September 15th at the Toronto International Film Festival. It'll also be available to stream across Canada on Bell Digital Cinema tomorrow, Wednesday, September 16th, in advance of its debut on CBC, Wednesday, October 7th. It's a lot of dates, but pick one, you'll be happy. And check out Michelle's TIFF documentary, Inconvenient Indian, which is streaming on Bell Digital Cinema until 6 p.m. today and screening once more in the festival at the Lightbox at 5 p.m. this Thursday, September 17th. You can find Michelle on Twitter at Northern Girl, that's G-R-R-L girl, all one word. And you can find Girlhood on Blu-ray and DVD from Strand Releasing and streaming on the Criterion channel. It's also available on Apple TV and Google Play. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com where in addition to a flood of TIFF reviews, I'm also writing about other stuff and hosting a bunch of podcasts. Go check them out. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. Our theme song is by the last year. If you like it or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. And uh, if you've been listening since the beginning, I cannot thank you enough. 300 episodes. It's ridiculous. Anyway... Check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network and uh, continue listening, please. Stay inside, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out. I'll see you next time.